It connects to your immune cells and discourages inflammation and just expands your adaption to stress. So it's kind of that idea where, you know, a little dirt don't hurt. You're just kind of being open to your environment. This is TBI, Talking Brain Injury, with Brain Injury Alliance Colorado, sharing stories from TBI survivors and their supporters from all across the state. My name's Phil Lindemann. I'm a mentor with BX since 2019 and four-time recipient of brain injuries I don't even remember, plus a whole bunch I kind of maybe do remember. A little dirt don't hurt. Those are words to live by for Elise Piper. She's a sustainable gardening professional based in Eagle County. It's just a few miles down the road from Vail, where the winters are long and the growing season is short, but she is still reaping the health benefits of getting down in the dirt. Kind of clicked for me. I was outside. I've always had trouble sitting still or being in an office, so it was very physical. It was different every day. Just like me, Elise suffered most of her injuries playing outside on a snowboard. She still snowboards. She calls it her happy place, but she does find herself pining more for summer these days. She shares with me the secrets of Colorado gardening, like how to keep your tomatoes from dying and why you don't even need a yard to get started. Our guests are here to share stories of recovery and what has worked for them. So please, contact your doctor for any medical advice and the treatment that's best for you. Hey everyone, welcome back. It's Phil with TBI, the Talking Brain Injury Podcast from Brain Injury Alliance Colorado. And today I've got an old neighbor of mine <laughs> joining me on the microphone. It's Elise. Elise, how you been? Good. Thanks for having me here today. Well, it's great to have you here. And Elise, we miss you around the hood. We we, we used to live, what, a block away from each other here in Frisco? Yep. Sounds about right. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember I was always jealous because, you know, as long as I've lived there on Belford, I've always been in like a duplex or a quadplex or something else you had a house with a greenhouse in the backyard oh yeah yep I felt very lucky I uh, lived there about 12 years and over the time uh, really took advantage of the yard and greenhouse so definitely missing that in the old neighborhood so it's good to see you again well and where are you these days I'm over made the move over Vail Pass a little bit further west in Avon where the summers are longer. That is correct. <laughs> and the weather is warmer. That's what I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because you're real, still relatively new to moving over there. But, uh, well, the reason I bring up the greenhouse is because, like, that's what you do. You, you, you do that professionally. That is correct. Yeah. I uh, studied horticulture, garden design, and specialize in a sustainable style of perennial mountain gardening. So what were you growing there in the greenhouse? Because as long as you lived there, I still never actually got back to see the greenhouse. What were you growing there when you were on Belford? Uh, it definitely changed over the years. Uh, everything from vegetables, flowers, a lot of experiments. Some went well, some went bad, but uh, just, you know, an extra space to make the short gardening season extend a little bit and a little extra protection from the elements. Experimental gardening. What's that? Well, here in Colorado, I think that could uh, go a couple different ways. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking. As I was like, you know, here experimental gardening, something that pops to mind is, uh, you know, basement under heat lamps sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but I'm guessing not too much. No. I could go that way. But also <laughs> tomatoes, uh, you know, maybe stuff that technically wouldn't enjoy our uh, growing climate, but with that additional protection and heat. It was a little bit more successful in the greenhouse. Yeah, stuff that's kind of impossible. Because 
I remember I actually used to live over in, well, your neck of the woods now. I used to live over in Edwards, just outside Vail, and my tomatoes grew pretty good out there. Short growing season, they didn't get big, but they at least grew. Whereas Summit County, uh, I don't think I've <laughs> ever had a tomato successfully grow on me. Like peppers, maybe sort of, kind of, but even those things are like, you know, tiny little baby peppers, enough <laughs> for like maybe a bite of salsa. That's right. about all I get. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a little bit more challenging up here. So yeah, yeah. yeah most definitely. But we also kind of met through, um, well, the support group through uh, Centura, um, the brain injury group up here at the local hospital. And what brought you to that in the first place? Like, how'd you find it? Uh, I think I originally found it just through maybe an ad in the newspaper or, you know, something online. And it was just, you know, sounded like a great place to meet other people who may be going through the same thing as me. And what was that you were going through? Because I, I'm trying to remember your story of uh, brain injury. What, what, what had you been dealing with? Well, I think with a lot of people in our same situation, it's hard to kind of pinpoint just one specific event for my personal journey. But, um, you know, over the years, several small accidents and injuries, but uh, two separate snowboarding accidents, uh, one about 10 years ago and one about eight years ago that I could really pinpoint as a you know, just kind of changing the momentum of my life. So, um, yeah, and just kind of residual issues that I had still been working through and, um, you know, just kind of looking for that community. And they were providing different talks and meetings and topics that kind of just, you know, open you to other treatment or ways to work through your journey. So that's kind of originally what brought me there. Yeah. And and like you said, there's a lot of people, especially up here in the high country. Uh, Once you live long enough up here, it seems like you are guaranteed to have some sort of head injury at some point. Yeah. It's just common. Like, it's how I kick off this whole podcast, you know, survivor of four injuries I don't remember. (laughs) And, And two of them were snowboard accidents. Where'd they happen at? Where'd yours happen at? Were they at the resort? Were they like... So the first one uh, was, yeah, they're both at resorts. The first one was in Winter Park, and uh, we just took a little day trip over there. I wasn't super familiar with the mountain. This one, I actually didn't hit my head, so it didn't really connect for me at the time. But um, long story short, I went into a medium-sized half-pipe little too quickly, flat light, kind of just dropped down, you know, probably about 20 feet. At the moment, I thought, well, that was dumb because I had really bad knees. And I was like, well, that was stupid. But by the time I got to the bottom of the mountain, it was just complete nausea. Something wasn't right. And, you know, it had been just more of like a, you know, shaken head, I guess you could say. But since I didn't actually hit my head, it was kind of like unclear what had happened. Kind of that whole, uh, the metaphor of the jello in the bowl where you shake the jello and it rattles around the brain doing the same thing inside the skull. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, second one, I was in Crested Butte with about 15 of my lady friends for a weekend, just having a great time. And that time was pretty clear. I, you know, slipped out on a rail and my head connected with that, the right side of my head. Um, But again, at the time, my neck had taken a lot of the trauma. I've also been kind of always a little bit, 
you know, shake it off or resistant to medical care. I'm fine. I wasn't knocked out. And, you know, I was really more focused on the whiplash and neck trauma. And a lot of the stuff going on in my head got kind of overlooked. Yeah. Do you think that comes from, well, where do you think some of that, you know, just shake it off, get over it, go back and ride some more comes from? Because I have the same mentality. Uh, Unless I am literally knocked off my feet, like with broken bones like I did once and could not stand, I'm usually, all right, get up. I'm good to go. Let's let's get out and ride it off. I mean, I think anytime you're probably involved in some sort of sport like we are, whether it's, you know, mountain biking, skateboarding, surfing, all these things, there's, you know, a lot of crashes that come with learning that, but also kind of, you know, you're hyped up with, you're with your friends, you're trying new things. I've moved past this in my over older age, but maybe at some point like a competitive, like trying to keep up with those around you. Um, but I think, yeah, maybe just living up here and it's just like a major part of your life. And, um, there is a lot of falling and stuff involved with these sports, but not really knowing when it's really severe, something to take serious. And then also, you know, honestly, I was pretty dirtbag poor at the time and maybe, you know, going to the doctor and paying these bills wasn't necessarily a priority. So unfortunately, a lot of my problems set in probably about six months after that second accident. See, it's funny you say that because I remember after (laughs) my major accident where I broke a leg and an arm, knocked my head, did all that stuff. um, As I was getting my bearings, I remember one of the things that sticks with me the most was like, I learned that they had taken me in an ambulance to the hospital. I was like, what? I've got to pay for an ambulance now? (laughs) I did not approve that. And they were like, you weren't approving anything, buddy. And I was like, but I didn't approve the ambulance. And I was stuck on the ambulance for a while, too. You know, head injury stuff where you get fixated on that one thing and you're just like, oh, but but now i got to pay for an ambulance ride? (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Uh, and, and I remember some of those weird immediate moments, but you said like six months, it was kind of like over time, things started feeling weird. What was feeling weird or different or new or uh, just not the same? Just certain things, um, you know, that used to not bother me. I had a lot of visual problems, you know, bright lights, quick movements. It was really hard to, you know, look at a watch movies or be on a computer, um, And then it was actually like maybe the opening day at Copper the following season. And I went out and I took a few runs and all of a sudden just this immediate fogginess just took over like my whole brain. And I was just dizzy. Everything was very unclear. Um, But, you know, if I look back, it was probably like little things here and there. But there was definitely a, a... direct moment where I was like something's really not right something's not wrong or something's wrong yeah and that sort of stuff can be scary too when you're out doing something you love snowboarding or whatever and then all of a sudden like you know that you haven't done anything new or different but things suddenly snap changed weird yeah um it just wasn't the way that it once was now before we get into you know a little bit more of that um I I gotta ask so you still snowboard right I do. You still get after it. And so do I. And I have a lot of people who uh, sometimes they look at me like a weirdo when, you know, when they find out that I've wrecked myself on a snowboard and that, you know, probably my two most serious injuries have been on a snowboard. They're like, why do you still do it? Well, why do you still do it? Why do you still get out? 
it's one of my happy places. You know, I would say it's originally what brought me to the mountains. Uh, you know, I was spending more time driving up here than I was in school, and that financially wasn't working out for me. And, uh, you know, it's just there's a, a certain feeling that I get when I'm on my snowboard, and it does look a little bit differently for me these days, but I still uh, find joy in it and love being outside and with friends or just alone by myself, and uh, it's just something... I hope to continue doing for many more years. And when you say it's different, what's changed? I stay on the ground now. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not a bad idea. I'm a little bit more cautious, too, of, you know, flat light, bumpy conditions, hopping in the trees. I mean, I just, unfortunately, I'm still at a point in my recovery, and I probably will forever, that certain sort of crashes or uh, mishaps I will pay for. So I'm just a little bit more reserved. Yeah, it, it reminds me. It, it reminds me of the talk that I had with Melissa, actually the uh, the group organizer for the uh, Centura support group up here. Um, she, she had a great question for me. She was like, "Now, Phil, you still go out and snowboard? Um, are you still? Are you now more cautious?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm definitely more cautious. <laughs> I the risk reward is more apparent in my mind than you know back when I was in my 20s where it was all reward yeah. and the risk happened if it happened, but it was all reward. Whereas now I'm like, oh, you know what? Yeah, think twice before you go huck that uh, the big line at Copper, or think twice before you decide to you know really mob through those trees. I'm not saying that I don't do it." But the I, I definitely <laughs> judge harder before I do it, and then and then I commit to it because I've also found that the one thing the one thing that can really mess people up on a snowboard, especially, is if you're kind of so-so and you go for it anyway, yeah. and that's really when you get messed up. Yeah. So yeah, these days I, I have I am 100% in or I'm 100% out. I totally agree. No in between. You know, and yeah. I I will have a day here and there where I'm like, you know what, today I'm gonna pretend like everything's normal and fine and I'm going for it but that's maybe just a little bit more powder a little bit more in the trees and uh yeah so you just adjust and do what you can yeah yeah, and I like to think some of it is also age and injury. hundred <laughs> percent. As you get older, you're like, no, I don't. I, I, I do not want to throw myself at this as hard as I used to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I've also gotten over the mentality of, well, like you said, when you're younger too. I think you, um, you got those other people pushing you, and it's always like a, a keeping up with everybody else sort of thing. Whereas these days, I don't really feel the need to keep up. Um, no. I do what makes me happy, and I, and I go out and I ride the way that I like to ride, and I actually find that I, I think I'm getting more out of it than sometimes getting frustrated because I'm like, I'm like you know, I'm, I'm not able to keep up with those dudes that were really hitting it hard. Right. Um, and these days, I don't care. Yeah, some of my best days are just me alone with music on where I can just kind of do my own thing and uh, be in my happy place. So That's a good way to put it, in the happy place. Yeah, I, I describe it as... Um, a lot of people talk about sports, like snowboarding, as their drug. Snowboarding's my drug. Ah, it's not really a drug for me. It's the medicine. It, it yeah. is medicine is mandatory. Drugs are recreational. Yep. Medicine's mandatory. Snowboarding's mandatory for yeah. me. 
for sure. Um, and like you mentioned, you spent a lot of time snowboarding while you were going to school, maybe more time snowboarding <laughs> than going to school, but you still ended up doing the gardening thing. Where were you getting that at? Where were you going to school for gardening? So I actually, at the time when I was kind of back and forth, I was, had yet to discover my passion, but, um, eventually I returned to Fort Collins and studied horticulture there. So, and what was it that got you into that? How'd you find that passion? Well, so both my grand grandmothers were always big gardeners. I always remember spending time with them. Uh, my grandparents were big farmers in Iowa, and eventually, I don't know, it just kind of all came together in the perfect storm. Uh, we've had a little tiny A-frame cabin in Grand Lake for many years that my grandpa built, and my mom spends the summers up there, and she just started taking care of people's gardens. And I was, you know, dirtbag poor, didn't have a lot going on. It was the off season, so I went over and just started helping work in people's gardens. We connected with a landscape architect and started doing a lot of his projects and it kind of clicked for me. I was outside. I've always had trouble sitting still or being in an office. So it was very physical. It was different every day. And I decided to, you know, pursue it and found a program that kind of worked with what I was looking to do. Now I got a question for you. As somebody who tries gardening but doesn't really feel like I'm any good at it, do you think anybody can be good at gardening? Anybody can learn planting? A hundred percent. But I think a huge part of that is failing over and over again. Which is always rough when you're like, I put a whole season into watching this thing die. Yes, yes. That's the most crushing part of planting for me is that, wow, I spent a lot of time to watch this thing just die on well me. yeah you gain this connection <laughs> and you know you want it to succeed and survive and you know it can be quite heartbreaking but yeah I, I always joke with people it's my profession it's what I do but I kill plants all the time it's just part of the deal <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's get into like the connection then between uh planting and head injury and you know like kind of recovery um what have you found that you know your that's been able to your 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 passion has helped you live life after brain injury sure so obviously I discovered this you know kind of passion and love for plants had these head injuries um joined the support group and just one way I was able to give back to the community and people I had met through that group was kind of offering what I would consider like a horticulture therapy session. So, um, you know, there's a lot of science between the benefits of planting, you know, whether that's a decrease in the cortisol stress hormone, um, that's linked to obesity, heart disease, uh, memory loss, uh, obviously being outside, you're getting that fresh air, vitamin D, um, that has great, um, you know, benefits to your mood, decreases stress, anxiety. Um, there's actually a beneficial bacteria in soil. It's called Mycobacterium vaxae. So it's actually in dirt, but it connects to your immune cells and discourages inflammation and just expands your adaption to stress. So it's kind of that idea where, you know, a little dirt don't hurt. You're just kind of being open to your environment and, uh, you know, also this is, it's really important to personalize this. I mean, people with head injuries, 
um, are at all different types of levels. You know, maybe, uh, you know, just a small container on your patio and, you know, you're not able to bend or really get around. But, um, you know, just a lot of benefits, uh, hand-eye repetition, you're working on your memory, muscle balance, it's social, just I could go on and on. Yeah, <laughs> like, so, so you're telling me that literally playing in the dirt is good for you. I'm telling you, it's great. <laughs> I can't wait. I've, I'm wait, waiting for the snow to melt. I can't wait to get out there. Yeah, that's a crazy thing to hear from a snowboarder. Can't wait for <laughs> I the, know, the right? snow to disappear so I can get myself out there in the dirt. Um, all right, so uh, like you said, there's lots of different ways to approach it, and I think that might be where some people, like myself, get like a little like, well, I want to do this, or I want to have this, or I want to grow a whole garden's worth of stuff that's going to feed me and everybody I love. It's probably a good way to set yourself up for, well, frustration, at least to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, one of my first recommendations to everybody is to really think about starting small and in a realistic game plan. Uh, you can go so many different ways with plants and gardening, whether it's a house plant in your office to help with mood and air purification, uh, you know, a container garden, something on your rail where you don't need to bend over. Um, but again, I think it's, it's, I mean, I get this way every spring where I'm so excited and I plant a million seeds and then in two months I can barely keep up with it. So you really do need to kind of think about, you know, what do I want to grow? Is it vegetables, flowers, maybe just a couple herbs, maybe just a house plant. And, you know, just kind of thinking about your space. Do you have a patio? Do you have a yard? Um, I just, there's not one certain way to do it, but you also don't need to be left out of it if you don't have a huge garden or yard or greenhouse per se, so. And I'll say that's usually what I do these days because, yeah, I've got a shared yard with everybody else in my neighborhood. So we don't have much space to plant in the yard, but I've got lots of potted plants and herbs are definitely something that I like doing these days. And even those tiny peppers, like I said, sure, there's it's enough for a bite of salsa, but... Hey, one bite of salsa is better than no bites of salsa, right? That's right. <laughs> um, all right. So some other advice then, like you said, first consider, you know, kind of what you want to do, how much time you got to put into it, how much space you got. Uh, how about the logistics of actually getting started? So say like, you know, I want to grow, um, uh, you know, this year I would love to grow. Well, we'll roll with the salsa thing. I want to grow some peppers and some cilantro. I'm going to buy the tomatoes because I can't really grow them up here. <laughs> but, you know, I, I want to buy those, you know, kind of the base things for my salsa. Um, where do I get started? Like, you know, from, from the soil to the dirt to, you know, all that stuff. Sure. So soil is definitely very important. Uh, if you're going to put your money into something, I would say soil is the place to do it. Uh Depending on if you're using containers or just an existing ground bud, uh, for a container, I would use a nice organic potting soil. Uh, here specifically in Summit County, I would highly recommend shopping at the local garden centers or also a grow store. I mean, those are all over the state, but they have, I think, the best soils. If it's an existing bed in the ground or a, a, like a raised planter box, I would do just like a topsoil compost blend. Uh, 
50-50 or 70-30. Um, and if it's just, you know, you're just going right in the ground, just throw a couple inches of compost on top of that. And that's, you're not even going to change the soil. Um, you know, where, regardless of where you live, I could talk specifically about the mountains, but you want to know, you know, a couple important dates and numbers. One is what garden zone you live in. Summit County, there's maps online for this. Summit County specifically is categorized as 4B, but I would just maybe say zone three and four. Mm -hmm. And then also your average last frost date. And that kind of gives you a good idea of how long your season is. So our average last frost date here in the mountains is usually mid-June or around Father's Day where Denver and the Front Range are going to be closer to Mother's Day or mid-May. So they get that extra time, you know, at the beginning and end of the season. So the reason that's important is, you know, when I'm choosing my tomato crop or my pepper crop, and I will say there are some small cherry variety of tomatoes that you might want to give a shot, but you want to choose, uh, you know, it's called the days to maturity. So our season starts in mid-June, and we typically have less than 90 days. Okay? Insanely fast. Insanely fast. <laughs> so I would yeah. not choose any crop that requires more than 60 to 70 days. Okay. So, so really don't go to the full out of 90 days because, well, you never know if it's even going to make it to 90. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just in my experience gardening here in the mountains, I would stick to crops that need 60 to 70 days or less. Got it. Got it. So your seed packet will tell you that. Yeah, and I've definitely seen it on those too, but I guess I, <laughs> like a lot of amateur gardeners, I'm like, cool, those are fun numbers, and then I just buy it anyway. It doesn't matter what it tells me. I just right. go with it because I'm like, so oh, that's what I want. Yeah. You could go a separate way, though, and just go to the local garden center and buy a plant that's already ready to go. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a couple great ones close by. Um, but, yeah, I would just get the pepper plant get it in the ground i mean then it's you know goes much further yeah. but no shame in a starter no <laughs> yeah. shame in a starter no okay. shame in a starter yeah. and your local garden center nursery should have the right types of plants that grow where you live if right. that makes sense so instead of going to like a local big box store if you went to a local garden center nursery those crops are you know encouraged and meant for where we live if you're in denver the front range those garden centers are going to have crops and plant starts specifically for that region get yourself on down to ectors i, I mean i think they close really oh man that Don't is like a piece that. that's almost like I a know, piece of I'm my sad. childhood dying because i feel like every summer my mom was a big uh, gardener too Okay. And so every summer, I remember the Ectors trips. We would usually, especially when we were young, yeah, pile in the car. Let's all get yeah. out to Ectors. And I remember having fun, you know, wandering the, uh, like, because they had all sorts of funky, you know, like the garden stuff too. Not just the so plants, fun. but yeah, all the <laughs> things to go in your garden. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, it's one of those fond memories, I really hope. I'm going to have to look into Ectors. As far as Google tells me, 
it's open. open. They exist. I really thought I saw they were closing. I was so sad because I make a spring trip there every year. So good to know that. <laughs> good to know that <laughs> they survive. Still going. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> great. So yeah, I think good soil. <laughs> you know, a container bed, and you know, just choosing the right plant for the area you live in. Uh, the only thing, other thing I'll add to that is, you know, big box stores sometimes have the same plants shipped to every store, no matter where you live. So they're not necessarily meant to survive where you live, especially here in the mountains. But your local garden center or nursery is a great place to go for plants that sh- should survive where you live. So this is one of those instances where saving a buck or two by going to Lowe's or Walmart or wherever, probably not going to work out in the end. Probably not. All right. Got it. Because, I mean, mountains obviously are very tricky, but Colorado in general, is it kind of a tricky place to grow or is it? I think it's just, you know, it changes. We, we do have the lower temperatures in winter, you know, drought conditions, which, you know, hopefully we kind of recover from and adapt to. Um, but I think the biggest thing is just making sure you're the, using the right type of plants for that situation. No plants that you grew at your home in Washington State or Florida aren't going to do well here, but there are a lot of plants specifically for our area that can thrive. What are some, what are your, some of your favorites that you're planting these days, you know, ones that you just really enjoy, uh, I don't know, having around? So I'm a perennial gardener at heart, and those are gardens that, you know, overwinter and come back every season. They kind of wake up and go to sleep at different times, whether they're a spring blooming plant, summer blooming, or fall. So there's always kind of something different going on in the same garden. Um, I like using wildflowers and plants that are, you know, look like they just appeared out of nowhere in our beautiful mountain environment. Um, Columbines, delphinium, poppy. I love spring blooming bulbs like daffodils and tulips. They're just kind of that first burst of color after the snow melts for us. Um, I don't know. There's just so many different great perennials and you know, a lot of good trees and shrubs that also can provide great interest as well. So, yeah. Cool. Well, and as you've gotten, you know, really into um, into gardening, because you do this professionally, remind me of the name of your business? It's Mountain Roots Garden Care. Mountain Roots Garden Care. And what is it that you do with the business? I mean, you're not just personally growing for these things. You're taking care of Yeah, so I'm designing gardens, I'm building them, I'm taking care of them, I'm giving people advice or consulting on their own gardens, uh, redoing outdoor spaces. Again, I, I do like to take kind of a sustainable approach to things, whether it's uh, refurbishing outdoor furniture, including edibles, you know, just to kind of help supplement people's uh, food. But yeah, it's just kind of uh, all your gardening needs here in the mountains. Now, have you found that making your passion your profession has dulled it or enhanced it? Or does it kind of change on the day? Uh, I think it's never wavered. So probably closer to enhanced it. I feel lucky every day to do what I do, and 
The garden in Frisco was maybe a little bit too big to take care of at the end of a work day, or that was the last thing I kind of wanted to jump into. But now I have a smaller garden, and uh, yeah, there's it's definitely something that I feel lucky to do every day. That's cool. I like that because you know sometimes um, you know because I work at a radio station um, and journalism's always been my background and writing is my passion on the in my free time too. But sometimes I find my free writing just really taking a total backseat. It's not even in the car half the time right. <laughs> because I'm spending so much time back when I worked at newspapers hammering out thousands of words a day. Sure. Um, and these days, now that I work at a radio station, it's only hundreds of words a day. And so I found that, you know, my passion for one thing has actually kind of, uh, well, it's, it's been rekindled because, um, I'm not spending so much time doing another sort of writing, almost like what you were saying with your Frisco garden being so big. It seemed, I'm sure it seemed intimidating. You're like, Ugh, yeah. wow. I don't know <laughs> if I've got the, the bandwidth to handle this after a full day of, you know, well, gardening for a living right yeah yeah it's and i would say you know as i've talked to other people especially like brain injury survivor types there's been lots of folks that unfortunately have found their passions disappear or fade or wane or um maybe um just had to full-on give them up because of certain things and a lot of those times it was activities Mm -hmm. um Maybe it was like motorcycling, the activity that led to the brain injury, or maybe it was um, uh, another friend of mine through BX almost had to give up, uh, you know, his previous profession as a mechanic because he's found that it's very difficult for him to do fine motor movements the way that he used to. Um, uh, when it comes to gardening, do you find that you know some of those things have also been like maybe even therapeutic for you, helping you get back into? Um, well therapeutic and meditative getting back into things that maybe were difficult right after you took those first hits to the head yeah definitely I think that you know having the ability to just be outside and kind of in control of you know what I was doing uh, you know I think if I would have had to just go right back to like sitting in an office or being on a computer all day it would have been a completely different experience. And it also did come with its certain set of challenges. Um, You know, the visual stimulation, the bright lights, a lot of the up and down movements, um, you know, physical therapy and vestibular rehab has helped a ton with that. But there were still some unique challenges and side effects that kind of came through. But for me, just being able to be outside and with the plants and uh, kind of in more control of my schedule or if I didn't feel good or needed to cut it short, I I feel very lucky that I, I guess I kind of had my own control of that. Okay, got it. And how is recovery going these days? Um... Uh, it's going okay. You know, it's, I think, something... I've accepted as a part of my life moving forward and something I'll always be dealing with that kind of ebbs and flows um, with moving and changing locations. I did kind of have a little break from physical therapy. And for me specifically with my vision problems and vestibular issues, that was really something that continues to be one of my best resources so just getting back into that but you know I also did go through this winter kind of a 
six, seven weeks straight headache where I had to really step back from snowboarding and what I was doing on a daily basis to kind of resettle and then get that back in check. So, yeah, I think it just like many of us, it's something that will ebb and flow and be a part of me moving forward. And it's good to hear that you're able to recognize that too. Um, Cause I think that's one of my own personal problems and some other folks that they struggle with is that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to step back and say, you know what I need to do? Take care of me first. Mm-hmm. Cause if you can't take care of you. You're kind of not useless to everybody else, but you're not doing anybody else any favors. Right. That's for sure. Because another thing you've been involved with, too, is uh, Building Hope. It's a local mental health resource up here in Summit County. And that's something that they champion is that you take care of you. Yep. Because, because again, if you can't take care of you, it's uh, it, nobody's going to be doing any good in your immediate circle. Um, how does gardening and what you do uh, fit into Building Hope and, uh, you know, mental health uh, services and support? Sure. Um, Again, I've just kind of always connected this correlation, whether it's the science behind it or the way gardening and plants make me feel. But, uh, you know, an opportunity came around when the plants were sleeping for me to be able to write a little bit and help other people that have mental health conditions. This is something that I've always kind of dealt with, but also more so after my head injury. You know, there's a big shift when you can't do the same activities that you used to do and your life looks a little bit different. And again, just being able to be kind of vulnerable and open about that and just kind of help people whether it's just uh, you know them reading a blog I wrote or connecting them with a therapy scholarship or an in-person event with other people of the community where they can make new friends and be in a safe spot. But there's just a lot of correlation between the benefits of you know taking care of your mental health. For me, that comes in the forms of outside therapy, plant therapy, hiking, snowboarding. It looks different for everybody, but that's just how I've kind of molded that all together. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a, I was talking to somebody else on this podcast not too long ago about meditation and how meditation takes so many different forms. Because um, most people think of um, sitting still Buddha meditation, um, but planting can be one going on a hike can be one even i would argue that snowboarding can be one like you said those days where you're just maybe out solo by yourself on a powdery day nobody around um meditation's kind of wherever you well wherever you find a place to you know come back to you and um well take care of yourself just a touch Yeah. yeah i definitely agree and that looks different for everybody and finding you know those few things that work for you and you know, maybe it's spending, I, in my specific issues, settling and quieting my brain throughout the day is very important. And it just sets myself up for better success for the rest of the day, whether that's closing my eyes for 30 seconds, doing some grounding exercise, a full 10 minute meditation after I get off the computer, or just getting outside for a walk with my dog. Like you said, it's just putting yourself in that spot where you can kind of reground yourself and, you know, get ready for the next challenge in your day. 
Yeah, most definitely. All right, so Elise, I got to ask you that tomato that you mentioned that I think I can grow up here in Summit County. <laughs> what what is it? What's that tomato that I can maybe not? So kill? again, you're gonna just look for your lowest days to mature. But I will say there's some great cherry tomato varieties that are less than sixty days. I will. I don't know the actual names of the varieties off the top of my head because there's a million different plants, but I'm happy to send that over to you. <laughs> I would love that. Thank you. Thank you so much. That, that's my, uh, that, that is my thank you for, um, well, hopefully not killing it. <laughs> I will take your advice. Gonna, I better be taking a bite of one later this summer. I will make you a full bite of salsa. <laughs> Perfect. Don't you worry about it. <laughs> well, Elise, it was great to see you. Good to have you over here and uh, glad to hear that uh, things are still going so well with the gardening. And I, I guess my very last question was, you just mentioned it right now. You know, there's millions of varieties and all these sorts of things. And I think sometimes that can make people intimidated is they think like, I don't even know where to start. Well, we talked about the great place to start is just think about you first, what your space is like, what you want to plant, and then put a little bit of extra effort into making sure that, well, it's, this plant's actually going to work where I live. But yeah. it, it doesn't, don't, don't get stuck on the millions of things that planting and gardening is just look at maybe what you want to have bring to your own house your own patio your own porch yeah Yeah. and and take advantage of your local neighborhood resources a lot of free classes join a community garden if you don't have the space or knowledge that's a great place to meet other people um botanic gardens down in the front range there's just a lot of local resources and uh just sign up for a free class go visit a local botanic garden and yes yeah, start small and think realistic well Elise, good to have you here on the uh, tbi talk of brain injury podcast i look forward to feeding you a whole three spoonfuls of salsa i can't wait <laughs> <laughs> again talking to elise here on the tbi talk and brain injury podcast from brain injury alliance colorado